Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 94 with Al Bors Feller of the Founder Podcast. Discover exactly what it takes to become a successful entrepreneur and what's possible through entrepreneurship from the greatest minds in business today. Welcome to the Founder Podcast. Here's your host, Nathan Chan. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm your host coming to you live from hometown, cold Melbourne, Australia. Uh, on the grind again, guys. I don't know why I do it to myself. It's 1.21 a.m. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, just staying afloat. We've got a lot going on. Just uh, got a big trip to the States coming and I'm really, really pumped about that. So yeah, just trying to get through all the backlog of stuff that we've got going on. Growth problems, hey? But all good quality problems to have. Now, let's talk about today's guest. His name is Albors Faller, and he's the co-founder of a company called caradvice.com. And these guys, what they do is they review cars. And what's really crazy is this is like his 18th company. He's failed that many times that this was the one that made it. Talk about sheer determination and consistency, and he talks about how he's built this business model and all sorts of crazy things. You're going to love this episode. It's really, really fascinating how a car review website is a multi-million dollar company now taking on the world and uh, actually looking to list on the stock exchange and all sorts of amazing things that Albors has going on. So a lot of gold here, really interesting story. Probably not the kind of story that you're used to hearing us publish about. So you guys are in for an absolute treat. And if you are enjoying these interviews, please do take the time to leave us a review. It helps more than you can imagine. All right, now let's jump into the show. So the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? Mate, I, uh, I really tried hard to get into the industry that, that I'm in, which is, I guess, automotive uh, content, automotive journalism in a sense, uh, and absolutely nobody would hire me. I applied to every known publication, and I just got rejection letter after rejection letter. So I thought, you know, screw you guys. You're all print-based anyway, and that format is dying. We, we're talking 10 years ago here. So, And uh, I decided to do it myself. I, uh, I was at the time, and I guess in, in a way still am very digitally aware um and i was you know in that phase doing a lot of few different websites few different blogs and i thought car advice i thought a blog on cars would be right up my alley because i'm hugely passionate about cars and i was sort of surprised that no one was doing it in australia to that extent at the time and uh, yeah that's when it started in 2006 yeah wow so can you tell us a little bit more about car advice 
Yeah, absolutely, mate. So we, um, as I said, we started in uh, 10 years ago, almost exactly 10 years ago today. And it started as just me. Um, today, we have 37 full-time staff, a uh, big office in Sydney, another office in Melbourne, and about to open one in Brisbane. We've also got a little office in Perth. So what we do is basically we're the largest new car site in Australia. If you're uh, researching a new car, there's a very, very good chance you would have come across us. Um, you might not have even realized it, but we basically write content about new cars. We're an independent site, review every car that's on sale in Australia, um, and put them against each other. And essentially our aim is to you know, make sure we can connect the right buyer to the right car. And uh, we've been doing it for 10 years and uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've gone pretty good at it. Yeah, wow. And can you give us an idea, uh, throw some numbers um, around traction that you've had in the past 10 years, like from 10 years ago to where you are now? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, the the, uh, the measurement currency has changed a bit. I think I started on stat counter, uh, which was a thing back then. I'm not sure if it's a thing today. I haven't looked at it for quite some time. But um, look, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an interesting interesting insight into our first week of traffic. Um, I remember when I started it, you know, I wrote like three articles on day one and maybe by the end of the first week, we had maybe 10 articles max. And, you know, day one, we had like 20 hits. Week two, we had two and a half thousand hits. And that was on StatCounter. And I was like, holy crap, um, that's amazing. And one of the things I did do at that time was was write about cars that are quite popular. Um, you know, at the time, it was things like the Falcon, the Corridor, the Toyota Corolla. And people searching for it, it was the, the, the SEO, or the search engine optimization of our competitors and of the car manufacturers themselves was so bad back then that a startup blog like us could easily come in and take so much traffic away without basically any backlinks or anything because just because there was no local content about those cars online um, at the time. So it was basically, um, i got to say, like the the competition now is so fierce that if, if you'd give me $10 million to restart car advice, I, I could probably do it, but I'd, I'd struggle. Um, but back then, man, like it was, yeah, it was just right place, right time. And we, we really sort of jumped on it. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And can you give us, are you allowed to share traffic numbers or any numbers with us? At the yeah, moment? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like at, at the moment um, we do on analytics about nearly close to two mil as in absolute uniques. So per month, um, which oh, is, wow. you know, which is pretty high. Um, we don't report our overseas traffic because, you know, in the business that we're in, no one cares. You know, we only sell our Australian audience for advertising. So we don't, I haven't actually looked at overseas traffic, but I reckon it'd be at least another 40% on top of that. Our, the measurement that we use for the industry is Nielsen, uh, unique audience. I think last month we were close to 600,000, which is basically they try and weed out people that are using their iPad and their iPhone and their computer to try and work out if that's the same person and, and narrow it down. So, you know, I think it was 570 to 600. I can't remember. Around that figure, which is pretty high considering – you know, only a million new cars get sold in Australia every year. So we we, we, we have a saying internally that we're, we're pretty sure we hit about 95% of bo- people that are researching online um, looking to buy a new car. So And that's that's why we are the number one new car site and the second largest car site after, after car sales in general. Yeah, wow. And how did this all come about? Like how how did you grow it into this beast, man? Like tell us some key uh, leverage points and strategies that you took to get where you are today. Yeah, look, I um, look, I, I guess I'm not very business minded in in a manner that some other people are. At the time that I started Car Advice, I had this sort of vision in my head that you know I wanted to pursue what I loved doing. I didn't want to, you know, I was working at a, in an IT job which I really didn't like, but it was good because it gave me a lot of free time because I didn't have to do much. But I, I really didn't want to be stuck in that 
you know, working for somebody else. I, it's just, it wasn't me. Um, so I started Car Advice. I started another website on reviewing restaurants and I started another tech uh, sort of blog. And the restaurant one went for quite some time and for a few years. And I think somebody else is running it now. But the tech one died immediately because I, I just, you know, working in IT, I didn't want to, I didn't want to help people with their computer problems, you know, that, that was quickly dead. But, you know, as I said, Car Advice started, um, within the first few months, we were getting a lot of traffic. Um, I had this original vision, and this is what I'm saying, that I'm not very business savvy, at least I wasn't back then, where I would refuse to put ads on the site because I wanted it to be really clean, <laughs> you know, I wanted it to look nice. I wanted people to come in and just, just read it and, and not have to put up with even AdSense. And that went on for a while till the hosting bill started getting really expensive because the traffic was getting really expensive. And then I said, all right, shit, I might, I might have to need to put some ads on this um, just to pay for it. And uh, we put AdSense on and there was so much demand for our content from the manufacturers because, you know, obviously someone in their marketing department had worked out People are Googling their cars and finding, you know, some 20-year-old kid writing shit about their cars and they have no control over it. Um, so at least they can do is put some ads around it. Maybe that'll help. So the CPM started skyrocketing, people competing for keywords back then on our site. And they were specifically targeting car advice. And I remember in the second month or third month that we had AdSense running, I started making more money from that than I was getting paid for my full-time job. And I thought, shit, all right, this might have some legs. And I quit. Um, basically, I quit after my boss complained that every time he walks past my computer, there's just pictures of cars, um, which is true. You know, that was that was my job. I quit and I pursued it uh, very heavily. I um, found a, uh, a business partner about six months in who was who was sort of the opposite of me. wasn't very tech savvy, but was great with people, uh, really good with people, and um, you know, had a good reputation in the industry and. And uh, yeah, you know, we just, we got along and it, it was really hard at first. And don't get me wrong, you know, it wasn't easy. We we had traffic, but back then, you know, we were the upstarts. Uh, we had no reputation. So the, the problem we have in our industry is getting cars, right? So they're not going to hand over a, a Lamborghini to a, to someone they've never heard of before, just, just because we have a website. So you've got to earn your stripes. And that took a while, you know, it took us multiple years to be able to even get cars like Mercs and Audis. And yeah, that was a lot of brand building, uh, a lot of proving ourselves. Um, and then, you know, halfway, well, three years into it, we hit the GFC. And one of the industries that was most affected by by um, the GFC was automotive, because a lot of car companies were going bust or did go bust, you know, filed for bankruptcy. And we were, I think, I don't know, at one stage, I believe we were about three days away from being insolvent, because we couldn't pay the people we had at the time. So you know, like it, it all seems like a far-fetched story now, but man, I tell you, there were some days, some dark days uh, in the first few years that it just, you know, we worked basically on for nothing for so long. Um, we had staff that were getting paid way more than us because we needed staff. So there's a lot of slave labor. There was a lot of uh, labor of love. And uh, yeah, but post-GFC, you know, the magazine started to die. The, the manufacturers started realizing that online is actually where their marketing um, budget should be spent. Um, we sort of stopped being a blog and started being a real site, I suppose. We do actually still use WordPress as a core platform, heavily modified, but we actually use the core of WordPress for our publishing platform. So, you know, in terms of people thinking that we've spent billions in, in tech, it's just not true. We, we've got a team of four developers now full time, but most of what we do is we build around the, the publishing platform that is WordPress. So, but yeah, so post, post GFC, we, um, we started kicking some goals, you know, we went from making, you know, a couple hundred grand a year to two mil all of a sudden, then to four. Um, and you know, this year we should hopefully close out at well above 10 and uh, next year we're aiming at 15. So that's, 
Yeah, that's where we're going. So it's been a it's been a wild journey. It's been, as I said, almost ten years, but it feels like it was yesterday. So I'm just a you know I'm just a lot unhealthier now because all I do is sit in cars and in front of a computer. <laughs> so I'm really curious. Around you said it was really difficult at the start to build the brand and build that trust. Yeah. Um, what did you have to do to to build that brand to build that trust? Is there anything that you can like any tactics? Yeah, absolutely. So look, we the, our our biggest problem in those days was getting people to give us cars because you know we can't review new cars unless we can get access to them, and you know you can't go out there and buying things, and and you can't keep going to dealers to try and drive one because you know they start thinking this guy's been here fifty <laughs> times this year for driving different cars. He can't make up his mind. Obviously, what the manufacturers do is they have a fleet of what they call press cars, which is cars that they specifically have for the media to drive and to you know write about. So we, we were trying to get access to them. And at the time when we started, those cars were primarily for publications like Wheels, Motor, and sort of those magazines that you know I guess are, are now past their, past their heydays. So what we had to do was basically prove why they should give us cars. And despite our best intentions of showing them our traffic figures and showing that even telling them, you know, go into Google and Google your own car and see that we show up first, they still didn't care. Because I remember one of, the, one of the best quotes I ever had was from someone at BMW who said to me that, yes, I know that if someone Googles BMW X5, you guys show up first, but your audience are the ones that steal our cars, not buy them. I shit you not, that was the verbatim quote. And <laughs> wow. I was like, well, you guys, because he said, you know, people that buy X5s don't, don't use the internet for research. And I was like, wow, like you are so far behind understanding how this is working that, uh, yeah. But, you know, that person's not there anymore. So, yeah, that's what we had to face. Um, what we did, uh, it was my business partner's idea, was we thought, all right, well, if we're having a problem getting Audis and Mercs, you know, what do we have to do to prove to, to to companies like them that they should give us their cars. So we thought, all right, what we should do is go and drive the fastest and most expensive car in the world. And if we can get access to that, then we could use that as basically leverage to get anything else. So we emailed Bugatti at the time in France, and they had the Veyron, which is, I think, up until very recently was still the fastest car in the world. It's a $2.7 million car. And we asked them nicely if we could come and drive that car. You know, We said, you know, hi, we're, you know, this basically upstart car website in Australia where you can't even sell the Veyron um, because they don't make it in right-hand drive. But do you mind if we come to France and drive your car? We need it for three days. And this is when it just come out. And to our complete shock and horror and surprise, the guy wrote back and saying, yes, sure, here are the availability dates. Let us know when you can make it. <laughs> and when, when my business partner said to me, Oh man, I've I've got the car booked, and I said, oh yeah, comp-, you know, thinking yeah, right, as if you, as if we can't even get a we can't even get a C class, and you've got a Veyron book, um, but he was right, and we got our trip sponsored by back then uh, Etihad Airlines. Um, wow, yeah, how did you tee so, that up? Well, as I said earlier, mate, I I was very fortunate to find a business partner that was very good at talking, and and you know, not talking shit, but talking well and and selling selling the dream and selling the hopes. And we had a what sponsor who paid for everything else, and we had a few other sponsors, uh, energy drink sponsors and things like that. And we had the whole trip sponsored, and we went over there and we made some really great videos. We drove we drove the Veyron and we drove a couple of Lamborghinis and we drove the uh, Aston Martin DBS, which was at the time just had come out as James Bond's car. And the videos went viral on YouTube. The Veyron video, the Bugatti video, got picked up by Discovery Channel. So we got into a couple of shows on Discovery with that. Uh, it was literally one of our very first videos we ever did. So if you look at it now, it's quite embarrassing what we were wearing because, you know, we had, we had no concept of 
We had no concept of what to do almost, you know. We just basically looked at a lot of other car videos and, and sort of put our twist on it. And, you know, one of the things we did, we did a, we did a factory tour of the, of the Bugatti factory, which no one had ever done before. We didn't even know that at the time. And that was just, you know, that just went crazy because people love to see how the world's most expensive car is made. And, you know, we did that. We came back to Australia and, uh, yeah, the game kind of changed for us because, you know, when, whenever we someone would say, oh, so, you know, who the hell are you guys? And we just sort of sent them a link to our, to, our, to our Bugatti article and say, oh, you know, yeah, we're just sort of an upstart, but, you know, we've done stuff like this and, you know, give us your $100,000 car because we've driven a $2.7 million car. It's not a big deal. And, and they did. You know, it, it wasn't, again, as I said, I'm, I'm shortening the story here. It wasn't like it was overnight, but it, it really helped us set the stage. Um, we did that trip again the year after with different supercars. We did 13 other supercars and sort of just continued to build our reputation as, as the guys that were able to do things that the other publications wouldn't do. So where we really benefited over our competition, apart from the fact that we were very digitally savvy and they were the complete opposite, we really put our own effort into going to places like France to drive these sorts of cars because the other publications were basically waiting for the manufacturers to send them an invite to come and do that. You know, they were never, they would never do, they would never use their own money. They would, you know, because, because, you know, they'd have to talk to the finance department and the finance department is ran by some guy who, you know, would say, why the hell would you going to go and drive a car like that when it's not even sold in Australia? And what, what are the commercial incentives? You know, blah, 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 blah. We, we knew that the commercial incentives were the audience, you know, our game is all about audience. If you could win the audience, the commercial incentives would come on their own. So, that's what we did. We, we, you know, I, in those early days, I lost a, I lost a reasonable amount of equity um, in the business, uh, raising funds to go and do these sorts of things. You know, perhaps uh, if I was to go back in time, I would probably try and lose less equity. But, uh, you know, without those, I guess, credibility uh, stamps on our book, we would never have been here. So it, it was, it was a required, uh, it was necessary evil, and it worked really well. So these days, we go and drive all sorts of supercars, and we don't really have to pay for it. So. But we had to do those hard yards in the early days to get there. Gotcha. So you had to raise capital to fund a lot of your trips to, to do the high-quality video production and do all of the, the content. We had some angel investors in the early days. You know, we had some big guys. You know, we had we had the CEO of realestate.com.au as, as our chairman for a while and also one of the investors in the early days, um, who's still a relatively large shareholder. Um, you know, good people to guide us through things. And some not so good investors on our books. Um, you know, you live, you learn. Angel investors are always a hit and miss, I say. You know, we weren't that business savvy to, to sort of be able to value our business well. So I think we kind of maybe got ripped off a bit too <laughs> in those early. It's really hard, you know. Mm-hmm. I... I I don't know. Like people ask me, you know, would you have would you have done it differently? I, I like to say yes. I like to say yes that sure. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have lost you know ten percent here and five percent there in equity to raise you know money for things that some of them probably worked, some of them didn't. But ultimately, you know, if we hadn't done all those things, even if we hadn't failed at a few of those things, we might not be here today. So I'd rather be I'd rather be uh, you know. Uh, uh, a shareholder in a business is worth a lot more money than, than it would have been otherwise, you know, if you had 100% of it. So, yeah, so that's sort of that's sort of the very, very shortened version of car advice. But, yeah, today we're, yeah, we're, we're known to the whole industry. We're, we're the guys that people call when, when they want us, when a new car comes out because they know we have the audience um, and they know we have the credibility. So, and unlike the majority of other publications, we're completely independent. We have no parent company we're not owned by fairfax we're not owned by news we're not owned by bauer which owns all the magazines we just we're just us we're owned by private shareholders and uh our our ethos is always uh our audience first so we will 
we will happily write a very negative review of a car, even if it's got huge commercial implications, because we've learned very early on that it doesn't matter um, if someone withdraws half a million dollars in, in, in ads, which has happened um, because of a negative review, because if you lose your audience, you uh, you lose everything. So. So who does the reviews? Is it still you and your business partner or, or do you have an independent? Like how does that work and how do you make sure like it's just an honest review, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we have, um, as I said, we've got 37, I believe now, maybe it's 36 or 38, uh, full-time staff as of today. We have a uh, an editorial team plus a video team. I think they're about 15 people. And then we also got a commercial team and they are church and state separated the only times that there's a crossover between commercial and editorial is if, is if some of the guys from commercial come and say hey guys you know we've got a we've got an enormous budget from manufacturer x and we haven't even looked at their cars for like two years can can we please go and look at their cars at least so that we can get some reviews and that doesn't mean that the reviews have to be positive it just means that we need to go and at least look at their cars and we do do that because it's fair and you know if someone's spending half a million dollars then you need the page impressions to to be able to make that happen so you know, for example, if, if, if Hyundai said, you know, here's our budget for the quarter um, and we haven't driven the i30 or the or the Accent for two years, we would go and drive it and we'd just rate it regardless. Um, so that's pretty much the only the only uh, crossover between commercial and, and editorial. Otherwise, they're completely separate teams. And that's how it should be. That that's, that's, the only way, that's the only way it could really work, you know, because if anyone ever thinks that you're taking money to write a positive review, then you, you, just, you just can't. Um, you just can't. Even the perception of that could kill you so um, we make sure that there's there's no chance of that even if from a perception perspective so we even you know we even keep our teams completely separate just to make sure yeah wow because it must be really difficult if you're driving a nice car and you you would have a an expectation right but it's kind of like reciprocity you know they're doing a nice thing for you kind of want to do a nice thing back does it, did it used to feel like that is that difficult um, look, we've, we've had one or two instances in our, in our existence whereby, you know, we've had a big client and we've written a review and given the car a pretty poor rating because the car was shit. And they've tried to lean on us heavily saying, well, you know, you know, this is not going to work if blah, blah, blah. And we've said to them, this is, this is, this is how we work. We don't, you know, we don't operate in the manner of you guys give us money for advertising and, and we write good things about your car. We just, we can't do that. And that's, you know, to be fair, that is across the industry. Other guys don't do that either, as far as I'm aware. So it's, but, you know, advertisers like to try and muscle their way in. Um, but we're, we're lucky, we're fortunate because we have the audience. So even if some of them want to be bullies, ultimately they all come back because um, they need us. Mm, yeah, you know? gotcha. So we kind of, you just got to stay strong in that regard. You can't let them push you around. And that's what we've done to date. Um, and that's what we'll do for as long as I'm there and, as long as the other guys are there, which will be for quite some time, it, it's the only way you can work. Because if, if you let that go, then then what's the point? You know, if you start if you start writing infomercials, um, it's just it's pointless. That's not what people want to read. You know, people what what the cycle is is people start by thinking I need an SUV, right? So I'll give you an example of how it works. Someone, some you know, a, a mum of three goes to her husband. Look, we need a new car. This car is old. You know, we might have a new kid coming, or you know, one of our kids is growing up and needs more stuff to put in the back. And so they start looking for cars and they'll, they'll start by saying, I need an SUV. And then they'll start looking for like, you know, top five SUVs or start asking friends and then Googling the cars they recommend. And all through this, they keep finding articles online. Uh, and a lot of us is, is ours, you know, comparisons between SUVs, you know, reviews on single SUVs. Um, and they usually go to the manufacturer website first because, you know, you always do. And then they go, okay, yeah, I, I know that the manufacturer thinks it's great, but that's irrelevant because, of course, they're going to think it's great. I want to know what somebody else says about it. And then they find people like us. And we have to make sure 
that the experience that the reader has when they come to a site like ours and, and reading an article on, on say, like a Mazda CX-5, that they are fully aware that this is a completely uh, independent, unbiased, uh, and non-commercially incentivized article. And, you know, considering the amount of comments we get and the amount of feedback we get, I think we do that quite well. And that, that is sort of our bread and butter of our existence. Mm, I see. And how do you foster this community? Because you keep saying that you've got the audience, that people keep coming back. How do you foster? Do you do any uh, initiatives for the community? Look, we're we, we've been fortunate enough in our in our early days, and you know, I guess in, in, even even today, that our, our search engine optimization is extremely strong. We do tend to come up for the top fifty cars in Australia within the one, two, or three results when someone someone's looking for them. Um, that's where we get a bulk of our traffic. We're also you know, we're pretty heavy on social. Um, we do we do a, we do spend a lot of money on Facebook promoting our content, but we also have a, a very strong link to a huge number of car forums. So, you know, we do what what we try and do is for for most people that are not car people, they they sort of look at a car three months every five years when they want to buy a new car. So, you know, they spend three months every five years researching, buying, doing all that stuff, and then they're gone. Then they don't give a shit. It's finished for another five years, right? So those people. They're not going to come back every day um, reading car advice because they don't need to. They've already bought the car. They're not interested in cars. But then there's a whole bunch of other people that are sort of the influencers, the the, uh, the enthusiasts uh, of the car community, the people that those other people ask for when they need advice. So they go, you know, hey, you know, uh, Brad, I need a, I need an SUV. What do you recommend? And those guys are the guys that read our site all the time, um, every day, because they're car people. And they would say, yeah, I think this and this and this. Hey, go, ch- you know, check this comparison out on car advice and It'll validate what I'm telling you, basically, because that's where they got the information from in the first place. So we do get a lot of people coming to us and finding us because the people they ask advice for tend to recommend us. So that is that has been a huge thing for us. And that's one of the reasons why we do do a lot of enthusiast content um, on our site, because those people are very vital to our business. You know, they're they're the influencers of their little subset community, and we need to target them because they help us get the car buyers to us. So there's a lot of strategies around it. I'm, I'm simplifying it, but you sort of get what I mean, I, I hope. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. You're using ambassadors within certain uh, hubs. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, absolutely. To create content for you, giving them that exclusivity. Yeah, <laughs> we also obviously encourage people to write reviews of their own car. So we have a huge database of that. Um, and a lot of people, you know, even if they might read our review of it, they go, yeah, that's all well and good, but I'm just going to read what this guy that actually owns the car says. And they do. And, you know, some of them are really bad reviews of cars. But even if they're completely opposite to what we write, we, we leave them there because that's that's what this owner's experience is like. And, you know, it's, it's I guess, in a sense, it's like TripAdvisor. You, you, you know, we don't delete someone's review of a car that we think is great, even though they think it's awful, because that's what they think. So someone buying it might want to read that and go, yeah, OK, maybe this guy, what this guy is saying is true in regards to, you know, not having hooks for for uh, shopping bags in the back of the boot. I could possibly never buy a car without that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like, you don't mm. know how people think, so. Mm, I see. Um, switching up topics, I hope we're allowed to talk about this, but I was told that you guys are looking to list. Are we able to talk about that? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> if, if we're not, that's cool. We can, we can edit um, look, that we're, out. Yeah. We're, um, we, could, we could probably, I'm happy for you to keep keep this in. Um, we're, there has been reported in the media that we're, uh, we're close to a listing. Um, that's pretty much all I can say. Um, I guess I am a director of the business, so it's. Uh, uh, I don't really feel like going to jail by saying any more or less. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. That's a, that's about the extent of my. <laughs> but yes, um, as I said, it's been reported that we're uh, we're heading towards a uh, an ASX listing. 
Yeah, and how do you work that out? Like, how how does that come about? I'm really curious. Um, well, I mean, as I said, we're we're 10 years old this year, this month, in fact, and I guess in in many ways we need to find the next step in in regards to what we want to do. We've we've got a very large audience here in Australia. Um, you know, whether we want to take our format to emerging markets, uh, places like you know Asia, uh, India, where the the need for almost and, and it sounds weird to say, but particularly in China, the we have such a we have a reasonably large audience from China, and a lot of our content gets stolen and translated because people like to read what the foreigners have written about the car <laughs> because they don't believe the local media. Um, oh. And having gone to China myself for motor shows a few times, I can see why they don't believe the local media because there was money in the in the kits they hand out for manufacturers. I'm not even making that up. There's literally money in the in the little wow. show bags that they hand out at motor shows. So there is potential for us to go overseas. There is potential for us to go into other verticals. Uh, we do boat advice, um, which is going quite nicely. Oh, um, boat advice. Yeah, That's absolutely. It's a totally separate site now. It is a totally separate site now, yes. Um, obviously, there is uh, other avenues like bikes, uh, trucks, uh, things like that. So there is plenty of potential for us to expand our business, grow our business both here domestically and internationally. So that's one of the reasons why uh, a potential uh, – ASX listing is uh, looking, uh, you know, looking like something worth doing. Gotcha. So, when people do this, it's usually to raise capital in a way, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there is, you know, obviously potential for some of the early investors that want to see realization of uh, liquidity in the shares as well at the same time. But yeah, raising raising capital, um, you know, looking looking to grow. We're we're a very profitable business, regardless. You know, we don't just have high revenues we actually are quite a profitable business we don't run at a loss um we try we try and keep our profit revenue uh, around 10 percent um in a sense that you know we reinvest everything else back into growth um mm. anything else we make we just try and keep it you know above 10 percent. sometimes that's hard sometimes it goes up to 15 and you're going to you know find something to invest in um because you know we you, you don't want to become complacent in this business you know we're very strong digitally but you know being a being being a digital person myself i'm aware how quickly things change so yeah we're we're always looking at new things that are possible we're always investing you know when when the ipad came out i'll give you a good example you know like there was all this potential for ipad magazines and you would know that really well but than anyone else i suspect and uh you know we invested heavily into that um it wasn't for us at the end, you know, but but we we invested heavily into that because it's something we had to do in case it became huge, uh, in case it worked. Um, but ultimately, we realized that more people come come because you know we have a full responsive site, so it works great on the iPad. So we we found more people come to us by Google on their iPad than they would reading the iPad mag that we spent heaps of time and money and resources making every month. So you know, but. There are, that's an example of things that we tried that probably didn't work, but we had to try them because we didn't want to be complacent. And we tried them early and, and we tried them hard. So we do that across all emerging stuff because that's, that's the sort of, sort of business we are. You know, we, we try and keep the startup mentality as long as we can. We, you know, it's hard with 37 employees, I've got to be honest, um, <laughs> yeah. to feel like a startup because, you, you know, you're not. You've got a lot more people. But, you know, the culture is like that. You know, we have a massive ping pong table in the office and we have driving simulators that <coughs> people can use at any time to race each other. And Yeah, wow. You know, we just try and keep the culture of something, that a place that you want to go to. Um, we have a policy that anyone that works for us needs to love cars. It doesn't matter if they're an accountant or, uh, or, or someone that sells ads or data. 
Um, we, we have a, you know, car lovers only policy uh, yes. because, <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's the culture you need to have. You need to be, you need to be excited. We get, you know, more than a thousand or 1500 different cars through the garages every year. So people need to be excited by the, by the concept of, of new cars and, 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 you know, telling people what cars are good and what cars are not good. So if, if you're not, then you're not, you know, you can't work for us basically. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, I'm curious also, you're not the CEO, no, 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 never have been. I would be the worst CEO in the world, I reckon. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the CEO. No, we have a really, really smart guy as our CEO. His name is Andrew Beecher. He's uh, he was the head of marketing for car sales for a while. Um, also did trading post. He's um online before it went to shit, as he says. Um, but yeah, 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 absolutely. I uh, I'm I'm not a business person. I I don't pretend to be. I don't want to be. I uh. I'm I'm very good at starting things. I'm very good at believing in things and watching them grow and never giving up on them. That's my specialty in life. I've car advice was the seventeenth business I started. Seventeenth. Um, seventeenth. Yeah. Yeah. You got to fail it, right? You got to fail a few times. <laughs> wow, man. Yeah. Well, we got to touch on that, bro. Like, please tell me what all out of all those seventeen businesses, sixteen of them failed, or? Uh, look, two of them didn't fail. Uh, I just didn't. I guess I, I, I didn't have the ability to find the necessary resources to make them grow. You know, I, I had, I'll give you the, I'll give, I'll give you the two they were, you know, we had a, a computer store, an internet cafe with, with a web marketing uh, business attached to it. And it had a lot of potential. <clears throat> that was back in the day when, you know, people were just, businesses were just getting online. And the problem was we were like 19. It was me and a friend of mine that started, we were 19 and we would go to meetings and these, you know, these, 45-year-old executives would look at us and go, who the fuck are these guys, um, basically. <laughs> and we would still get a lot of business because we knew what we were doing. You know, we were very good at SEO. We learned a lot then. Back then, it was a bit different to this today. And, you know, with the few clients that we had, we'd do a really good job for them. Um, but ultimately, you know, what we really needed was a mature business partner or somebody that could help us grow that business. So, you know, that went for a couple of years and we made some decent money and then sort of went our own ways. Um, another business I started was a website called My Weblog dot com back before blogger even existed but uh, back before the word blog was even a thing and at, at its peak i had forty eight thousand active users writing blogs at least once a week wow um, and uh i was i think i was, I was 17 18 at the time and my parents were complaining that the hosting bill on the credit card was getting <laughs> outrageously expensive so instead of i don't know funding it or finding some commercial incentive to keep it running I just turned it off one day. Um, so, as you do. As you would when you're an idiot, teenager, um, when you're you know, angsty and thinking, oh, well, I guess I'll just have to turn it off then. Um, but honest to God, that, that before Blogger was even a thing, like I, I think about it easily. If I had grown that and, and, you know, I guess made it work, um, kept it going, I, I would have easily sold that to one of the big guys for a reasonable amount of money um, because it had a big audience. Um, mm. And I wrote that entire that entire platform myself, you know, everything was written, the entire blogging platform I wrote myself. So it's uh, it was an interesting thing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah there wow. was, there was also, there was also another 14 businesses that I, uh, that I started that failed very, very miserably. Um, so yeah, you know, Man, that's crazy. So what, one last question before we wrap up our boards, what, what, out of all those businesses, what kept you going? Like I, I've never heard anyone that's failed that many businesses <laughs> that many times. Yeah. Well, yeah. I have, Oh, look, I I don't know. My wife says I'm really stubborn. Maybe that's it. I don't like to give up on things. And you know what I hate more than anything else in life is I hate working for somebody else. So I, 
I just, I had to make something work eventually. Um, I figured something will work eventually. And I just kept going, you know, but the good thing is because all these businesses were very digital uh, heavy, they weren't, you know, apart from the computer store where we actually had a physical presence, which is a really dumb idea, by the way, everything else was, was, you know, all digital, all, you know, one to many type businesses where we could make some work and, you know, be able to get a lot of uh, leverage and a lot of scale on it. That helps because the cost, uh, the barrier to entry was quite low. Um, you know, you could start up a business in, in, a, in a month or two and, and try it out for six months and see if it worked. And if it didn't, you just go, oh, fuck it, that didn't work. Um, let's move on. You know, that, that's what we did. That was that was so, was so good about car advice was it showed so much potential so early. And I just thought, okay, well, this is interesting. Um, there is obviously a huge latent audience here that re- is requiring local content that no one's currently putting online. And that wasn't to say that there wasn't local content. It's just that it was all in print. And, you know, people researching a car, as, as you would well know logically now, Someone's going, I need to buy a CX-5. Oh, I better go down to NewsAgent and see what magazine has a review of that. They're not going to do that. They're going to Google. Mm. So that's what happens. And, and you know, I guess car companies back then didn't realize and the print publications, it's, it's very hard for a print publication to become digital. It's very hard. Mm. If, if the core business is print, they, the culture is print, it's very hard. It, there are very few examples in, in any industry where a print publication has been able to successfully go online. There are a few, I'm not saying there isn't, but it's very hard unless they're mm. completely separate teams and separate buildings almost. Um, so we really, uh, I guess, took advantage of that. And we weren't very good in the early days, you know, like, God, I mean, I read my own, my reviews from 10 years ago and they were awful. Like I, I get embarrassed. I want to go back and change them, make them English, you know, <laughs> but, but I guess you got to start somewhere. Right. So, and I have, you know, I've, I went to uni for five years, but I've got no degrees and, in journalism or in writing. So it was a sort of a self-thought uh, art, you know. Mm, yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Well, look, dude, um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, where's the best place our audience can find you if they want to know more? Um, well, mate, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty active on Facebook and everything's open to public. Uh, I don't use Twitter because I think it's a dying art platform. But anyway, I might be wrong there. You can, you can tell me. But it's just, it's just facebook.com forward slash my name, which is uh, Albor's Fella. So... Um, yeah, I'm sure you can, uh, sure you can find me and add me as a friend. I accept everybody. My wife says I shouldn't, but I do. Um, <laughs> well, I'm that's very, very open, to, open to view. And if, if people want to know more about cars. Oh, well, obviously check out caradvice.com.au. Uh, if you've got a question about cars, drop us an email. We, we, uh, we endeavor to respond to all emails within 24 hours and we tend to, and we get like hundreds and hundreds a day and yeah, absolutely, man. We, um, yeah, got a question about cars and you need some advice and yeah, car advice is the place to go. The Founder Podcast has come to a close, but it's not time to sleep. It's time to hustle. Download the Richard Branson issue of Founder Magazine for free right now by visiting foundermag.com slash Branson. Again, that's an absolutely free download of the Richard Branson issue of Founder Magazine containing an exclusive interview with the man himself. It's only available at foundermag.com slash Branson. So download it now and we'll see you next time on the Founder Podcast.